May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. I am at a place in my life right now where I am really, really glad that I am not the one in charge. This is not something that has always been true for me. I am a perfectionist, and I am a recovering control freak. I have this habit of clinging to whatever control I can get my hands around because it makes me feel safe. It brings me comfort. If I am in charge, and I can plan out all the possible outcomes, and have contingency plans, and backups, and options, then I will be okay in the end. I'll be good. Now, today is Christ the King Sunday, and it is a very timely reminder for me about who is actually in control. This is a, a new feast, a relatively new feast in the church calendar. Pope Pius XI in 1925 felt that the church needed to be refocused after World War I. He saw the church and its power used by earthly leaders who corrupted it and used it for something other than the gospel. The Protestant church picked up this tradition and here we are today, the last Sunday of the church year, announcing and remembering the reign of Christ before we turn to the season of Advent and prepare our hearts for the birth of our Savior. I'll admit, it feels a little weird to me to read that gospel text in November. I'm used to hearing it on Good Friday and at first when I read it, it felt out of place to me on Christ the King Sunday. A triumphant Sunday celebrating the, the sovereignty of Christ feels like the time for the resurrection story to me, not the crucifixion. But upon reflection and further review, this might be the perfect text for today. So imagine a king. I think of a king, I think of like a, a Disney movie nameless king. He's old, he's got a big beard, he sits in a throne, and he's got robes and jewels and a big crown, and, and he's got knights and armies in a big castle with a moat and a gate and walls and archers up at the top, and he gets to control who comes in and who goes out and who sits at his table. He's in control and he is safe. This is not the king that we know in Jesus. The king that we know from the Gospels is a man beaten and crucified, hung on a Roman cross between two thieves. There are no robes, there are no jewels, there is a crown, but it's made of thorns, not gold. The king that we know doesn't have knights and armies and a castle to keep him safe. He gave all of that up to be here and save us. We hear in the gospel today that Jesus had a thief on either side of him when he was crucified. After what was out likely hours of torture and public humiliation, the first called out to him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. The second thief turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Jesus told the second thief that surely they would be together in paradise. Now it's easy to read that and feel like the second thief made the right choice and earned his spot or said the right words and deserved to be in paradise. And he absolutely sets a great example for us on how to turn to Christ. But that second thief is not the only person saved in that story. Grace isn't selective like that. We know now what the first thief did not. Jesus was saving him. By taking up the cross, Jesus saved us all, not by what we've done or our own credentials or achievements, but by who God is. Grace, like the kind of grace that God shows us, isn't based on our own abilities, but solely on the character and the heart of God. Jesus didn't tell that second thief that they would be together in paradise because he had earned it. He wasn't powerful or rich or influential. He was a thief. He was ordinary. But in that moment, Jesus saw a beloved child, hungry for more than what this world could offer, looking to his savior. The first thief was looking for a rescuer. The second thief found him. Jesus is a new kind of king, and that is really, really good news. He's the kind of king that repairs what's been broken with unimaginable grace. He's the kind of king that we can cling to when times are tough or scary or feel out of control because he will ride it out right next to us. That's where I look for my comfort now. Not in a white-knuckle death grip on control, but in surrender. That's where I'm beginning to feel brave. We will have moments in this life where it feels like our leaders are making decisions that will impact us for a lifetime. We will have times where we have to earn our spot at the table or prove ourselves to others. And all of that is true, but none of that matters eternally. Those decisions, those leaders, those moments have nothing to do with eternity. We know that there is a truth greater than this world. The good news is this. We have a king who took a look at the splendor all around him and said it wasn't quite right until everyone could enjoy it with him. When we come to the table in a bit for communion, think about that. Even if you were the only person left on earth, Jesus would have done everything exactly the same. Because you, individually, wonderfully made, matter to our king so much that he laid down his life for you so that you would no longer be separated. This is the king we find in Christ. An innocent man dying on a cross meant for someone else. A humble leader who leads not with forces and armies, but with grace. And this is his kingdom. Repentant tax collectors, thieves, women, religious leaders, and recovering control freaks like me. Rachel Held Evans once said, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs, 
gathered around the table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry and because they said yes, and there is always room for more. I think she may have been onto something. Amen. <laughs>